Welcome to Ms. Interpreted, her podcast of public relations and strategic communications, demystified by Kelly Fletcher and Fletcher Marketing PR. But it is something else that we talk to our audience about, and that's learning your audience at a deeper level and knowing who specifically is in your audience. So that's one key way I would do it. And then the other thing is just think about the audience you're trying to reach and go after people that are also reaching that audience. Find ways to collaborate with other shows that are in your space. Podcast is a very giving field. There's a lot of very open relationships between other shows and other hosts. And it's not super competitive in that, like, I think you're trying to take all my listeners. Like if they listen to your show, they're also probably going to be listening to my show, which is a good thing. And so identifying ways that you could even guest on other shows or invite people that are in your same literally like list of the top 100. Look at who's five and 10 below you or above you and see if you can't invite those people on your show and talk to them. There's a lot of ways you can go about this. Welcome listeners to the Misinterpreted Podcast. I'm Kelly Fletcher, CEO of Fletcher Marketing PR. And as we record this session remotely today, I'm joined by my dear friend and colleague, Fletcher Senior Strategist, Mary Beth West. Hey, Mary Beth. Hey there, Kelly. It's great to hear your voice. And hello, listeners. Hope everybody's 2022 is off to a good start. And as for me, please excuse me if I periodically hack up a lung mid-conversation. And sadly, we all know why. The dreaded COVID. Yes. <laughs> the yeah, keeps I, on I giving. finally uh, drew the card. Yeah, you <laughs> it's did. It's my turn. I felt so bad that you got it right like the day after Christmas or a couple of days after Christmas. Yeah. So how are you doing now over there on the other side of our remote podcasting feed? <laughs> I've actually done quite well, I think. For the most part, it's been like a regulation cold and nothing too serious or onerous, which I will chalk up to having been double vaccinated early last year. But it seems like I'm coughing a little bit more in recent days, just off and on. But yeah, it's it's been quite the kickoff to 2022 for me. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I thought I had it. And every time you call for sneeze, you think you have COVID. It just turned out to be a sinus infection for me. But it's everywhere you look. And it reminds me of how much society is starting to acclimate and just move on with life. I think that's very true. I had a friend remind me that the rapid test I took just several days after I first started showing some symptoms, it's only said to be about 70% accurate. So I'm going to assume that my positive result was accurate. We nonetheless took all the normal precautions. But other than that, as I said, I've been fortunate that it's not been too disruptive for me. Well, you know, as Kelly Clarkson sings, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So we're just going to change the lyrics to what doesn't kill us makes us more immune. (laughs) (laughs) Very timely. (laughs) Hopefully this will be another year of resilience for you. I hope so. I hope so. And turning to our discussion today on that point, we're going to talk about a particular marketing strategy to help make our listeners' businesses more resilient to stand out in the marketplace of ideas. Listeners, as you know, we started the Misinterpreted podcast in 2019. And since then, Kelly and I both have become big believers in podcasting and proprietary content like that to better position businesses, organizations. We've had several clients that we have helped guide in starting their own podcasts as well. And so we thought we would invite our sound engineer, Chris Hill of Knoxville-based HumblePod to the show to chat with us a little bit about this. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Chris is awesome. I've known him before he even started HumblePod. And what some of our listeners may not know is that Chris's company consults for a number of clients, either helping produce podcasts in full or helping new podcasters with startup of their productions, getting all the foundational pieces set up, and then they can produce them in-house or Chris can continue to produce them. But we're really looking forward to hearing from Chris on how he's seen this medium evolve. Yeah, as a point of further introduction for Chris, Chris Hill launched Humble Pod in 2018. And since that time, he and his team have helped develop more than 40 original podcasts that have generated more than two and a half million downloads. In addition to producing podcasts for nationally recognized thought leaders, Chris is also the co-host and producer of the award-winning Our Humble Beer podcast. He is a craft beer enthusiast, which I think that's a lot of fun. He also lectures at the University of Tennessee, where he leads non-credit courses on podcasts and marketing. He received his undergraduate degree in business at the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga, where he majored in marketing and entrepreneurship perfect fit for what he does today. And he later received his MBA from King University. And to boot, Chris also serves our local professional community as immediate past president of the American Marketing Association in Knoxville, which is a very active professional group. So he brings that to the conversation as well. So Chris, thanks for being here today. Mary Beth and I just love you and we couldn't do this podcast without you. Well, thanks for having me. Truly, you're very responsive. So to start things off, Chris, give us a little bit of background. I know the story pretty much, but tell our listeners what led you to kind of delve into the podcasting world. Yeah, well, in some ways, it's pretty straightforward. I started doing this craft beer podcast, our Humble Beer podcast, years and years ago. It feels like ages now. I think it was back in 2013 now, which is Oh my gosh, I don't even want to think about how long ago that was. But we started the podcast quite a while ago. And from there, I just had people asking me, hey, how do I make a podcast? And eventually that became, sure, I'll help you try to start your own podcast. And that turned into a friend saying, hey, I made some money. I'd like to pay you for helping me start my podcast. And and it grew from there. And one thing led to another. And I've got Humble Pods started. And going from there. So that's kind of the Reader's Digest version. But yeah, it just started as a hobby, turned into something I I found that, that people had a need for and then grew into what it is today. Yeah, I think that some of the best entrepreneurial stories are those that truly start organically like that. Mm -hmm. It's it's truly one thing leads to the other with a market need that you've identified and that you meet and that you address and really build the relationships yourself from there. So I, I think that's so terrific. And tell us when a client comes to you, Chris, seeking to explore a podcast startup, what are some of the first questions you ask them to help them make sure that they're going about this starting off on the right foot. Yeah. One of the first questions I ask anybody who works with Humble Pod is what do they want out of the show? What are their goals and their objectives for their podcast? Because at the end of the day, you can say, hey, I want to create a podcast for my business, but what do you hope to get out of it? And that's the first thing I want to understand because ultimately that drives the rest of how we build the podcast, even down to the frequency of the podcast and how often we release episodes. We always say in marketing, start with the end in mind, and that definitely holds true here. And when we decided to start a podcast, we did it for a couple reasons. First of all, we wanted our voices to be heard as thought leaders, and we thought we've been doing PR for a long time and we have a lot to say about it. And we also want to talk to other leaders in our, you know, in our field, but also 
as a new business development tool. So we target marketing communications folks, entrepreneurs, business leaders, CEOs, and it has helped us as a business development tool. So what do you advise clients in helping set realistic expectations on growing their audience? Because that's been one of the biggest challenges. Yeah. On growing their audience, the thing I try to help people realize is the median, meaning kind of the middle number between the lower 50% and the top 50%. That average number of downloads per episode is about 150. So you really only need 151 downloads per episode to be greater than that lower 50% of shows that are out there in the world. So it's not a giant target you have to hit. And by some calculations, if you have over 25 episodes released, then you're actually just in the top two and a half percent of podcasts just by the fact that you have released that many episodes. So there's a lot of people in podcasting that aren't putting a lot of time into podcasting and they, they start out, they get excited and then they just flatline. So the thing I try to tell people to do is to really focus on being consistent with their show and to keep up with their show. Just keep it moving forward because those numbers grow over time. And if you're doing the right marketing things to get an audience built, then over time, you're going to have a really good size audience. But to keep realistic expectations, I mean, your first number you want to hit is about 150 downloads an episode. Once you get past that, you know you're going to be able to gain some traction. And that takes time, too inconsistency, which can be hard. It also depends on how niche your podcast is. So if it's a business to business podcast like ours, obviously not everybody and their brother wants to listen to it. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're talking about beer, there are probably a lot more people who want to hear about beer than PR. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and that's one of the reasons why that objective is the first question I ask people. What do they really want out of the show? Because ultimately it might look different than the number of downloads per episode. I try to tell customers when they come to me, don't try to just come in and thinking you're just going to immediately be able to monetize your show. It's definitely a possibility that we can get to, but it's not something you should come in with the expectation for, which is why I want the objective from them to be something like, I want to network and connect with other entrepreneurs in my field, or I want to be able to connect with the salespeople that are in my industry or an audience of an audience. You know, I'm going to highlight this person on my show so that I can bring in people and grow that way. But yeah, the objective should be something more than downloads, but you're right. I always think that it's interesting how for Kelly and me, it's <laughs> in establishing the consistency and establishing the longevity over time. Sometimes we run into that the cobbler is without any shoes, you know, kind of thing, because as much as we <laughs> want to set the example, you, you do get busy when you're an entrepreneur or when you're mm -hmm. a business leader and you're out there. But that is very good advice, very sound advice about establishing the consistency. And I would love to have you talk a little bit about any case examples of working with clients that for you bubble to the surface a little bit? Are there one or two case examples you have of working with clients who have effectively used podcasts to grow their businesses where it just really serves as that ideal case example and maybe some of the methods they've used to achieve that outcome? Yeah. So there's a couple that come to mind. The first one would be the friend I helped actually on the very first podcast his strategy and it was kind of surprising and i've had multiple clients in this realm of they don't really care about the download numbers their real goal is the relationship with the person on the other side and the reason for that is they know that if they can connect with that person 
and they can grow their podcast from that relationship, meaning that person has a different audience size that they can grow into, that they can effectively grow their network, their business faster as a result of that connection, as opposed to just having a bigger audience for their show. It's been a very unique approach, but I've found it works well with medical practices that have a very niche medical practice to get awareness for what they're doing. And I've found that people that are wanting to network for their business have used it in a way to bring awareness to what they're doing within an organization. There's actually a venture capital firm that we've worked with. That was one of their goals was to get to know the the different portfolio partners within their network. And so they tapped into us to be able to help them grow their network by building this podcast. And as a result, they've also built a really good show and people are really getting a lot out of it. So it's it's been kind of a win-win in the long run, but it takes time to get there. The other example I can think of is we had a client of ours that is a little more established and does get a little bit more of an audience. And this is something that they've shared publicly, so I don't I don't have any trouble sharing this, but they had an advertiser of theirs that was advertising on their show and stopped advertising. And they were like, all right, well, you know, we'll move on, find other advertisers. And they moved on. And eventually that advertiser came back to him and they asked him, why, why are you coming back to us now? And, and what, what made you come back? And they said, well, we started asking around the office, where do leads come from? Where is business coming from? And the overwhelming response was, yeah, it was off of your podcast. And they were hearing the ads and coming in. Wow. And when we stopped advertising, <laughs> we stopped getting leads. That's proof in the pudding, as they yeah. say. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So they came back on and continued to advertise with them. So it's wild how that works. But yeah, podcasting can definitely influence. And, and Kelly, to your point, at a niche level, too, I think that that's really key is there's a lot of a lot of niche things out there that people are interested in and having a podcast for that may not be a big number wise market, but those people are going to listen to and trust that host over time as you build rapport with your audience and being able to leverage that into promoting products and goods that are relevant to the audience and beneficial to your audience is a good thing and can be beneficial for both parties. Well, absolutely. I mean, like they say, content is king. I like to say content is queen, but <laughs> of course, Mary Beth and I, <laughs> Our most downloaded episodes have always been the ones where the content was real, relevant, timely, and we let the conversation just be extemporaneous and unscripted. And we do have a discussion guide that we develop for every episode to keep us on point, but we don't read directly from it. And so how do you guide your clients to make sure their broadcasts have that air of authenticity? Well, I think it actually comes from a solid framework. I honestly, like I think I've said this from the beginning of working with you all, I really like the framework you all have set up for the organization of the show and the episodes. And I think that's a really good place to start is making sure you have a structure to the show so the guest knows what they're walking into. And then from there, you can have a more open, relaxed conversation. Once you've set that framework, here's what the show is going to sound like. Here's how things are going to flow. And that also helps listeners, too. We're, as humans, creatures of habit. And so creating a show that has a normal routine and a rhythm to it really benefits people. If you think about any podcast you've listened to for an extended period of time, more than likely, some of the format has changed over the years. And there may have been a time or two where you heard it and you were like, I don't like this new format. I don't like this new thing because you're used to the old thing. And that's one of the things that does matter. But beyond that, digging in and creating authenticity I think comes from digging into responses. 
really, really asking follow-up questions, making sure you're actively listening to the guest as they're talking, not just waiting for the next question to ask, and just being open to following where the conversation leads. There's definitely some virtue in guiding the conversation back to where you started. We're guiding your conversation along a very set path, but by that same token, if you want more authenticity, sometimes letting them open up and giving them the space to do that will really help. So those are kind of my three things that I think are really important there. I agree with all of those. And this is our 55th episode. So we have quite the library and we've helped a few clients start podcasts. And we advise the clients on how to create a content strategy and how to integrate a podcast with your other marketing efforts, whether in the B2C space or B2B space. And one of the great things I was telling somebody, I think I was, oh, I had an interview today. I was I had an interview with a, a magazine and I was saying, you know, podcasting is really kind of like replaced blogging to some degree. And of course you can get the transcript and have your podcast also be a blog. But there's so many platforms that your podcast can be repurposed across. So your social media platforms, of course, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, whatever you're on, YouTube, for sure, your website, email marketing. So like with one of our B2B clients, they use their podcast as a email marketing tool. So I think that it's just such an amazing tactic that we have now in our toolbox and it's become more mainstream. So we're seeing a much higher interest in our clients adopting podcasts as part of their marketing strategy. And that actually brings me to one of my next questions is that when you think, Chris, about when you started this journey and what the technology was and what the best practices were, clearly with any digital platform, it's going to evolve over time as to what the technology bells and whistles are of what it can do and things that you can do to make the production more dynamic. And also, I guess, the promotional tools and tactics and and that toolbox does change too. So as we look to the future and look to the coming year, what are some of the key trends in podcasting and some of the best practices that run alongside that? Are there some aspects to what you advise that are new nowadays based on, say, several years ago when you got started? Yeah. Podcasting is becoming more sophisticated. There's a lot more money coming into podcasting now, as we've seen since about 2017, 2018, when Spotify started making acquisitions of different podcast businesses, it's become more mainstream. And I think that's good for the end listener. There's more options out there for content that you can hear. And there's a lot more ways that you can access that content. The challenge becomes content overload, as we all know, and then people content snacking, meaning they're only spending a little bit of time on each piece of content. So with that in mind, I think that one of the biggest trends we're seeing in the next year or so is going to be video podcasting. I've heard it talked about a lot. YouTube is the number two search engine in the world. Outside of Google, it's basically you go on YouTube and you search things. I have joked in the past that I've learned how to fix lawnmowers and I felt like Neo in the Matrix going, I know Kung Fu (laughs) (laughs) because I was able to just like, all right, I figured out how to replace the spark plugs and the air filter (laughs) in my lawnmower and do it like that with just a YouTube video. Right. Right. It's so cool. And that's what people are using it for is how to's, figuring out things or just learning new information. And YouTube's algorithm is very smartly serving up content that's relevant to people to keep them involved in the platform. So 
it's got a very unique niche in the market and podcasters are starting to catch on that. It's important. The challenge with YouTube is that most people think, oh, well, I just have to post the audio for my podcast and I'm done. And that will work. That is a base layer that covers a lot of things. And there are people who will just listen to audio on YouTube while they multitask. And what we're seeing more and more of is that we're getting live video podcasting, where I say live, but actual human interactive video podcasting that's becoming more and more popular. Now, that said, you don't have to do that for your podcast and your podcast may not be in a format that's actually beneficial for someone to see as well as here. Not every podcast is made equal. And sometimes you might have guests that don't want to come on. So what do you do? Well, going back to the search engine idea, you want to make sure that if YouTube's being used as a search engine, you're findable within that. So creating snippets of shows, even if you don't use a full video from the podcast, using snippets of that podcast as video content for your podcast can be very effective as well. So don't think you have to do a full edit of every episode you do on video, but it can definitely help and definitely doing more relevant content for people to catch snippets of is helpful too. So I'd say YouTube's probably the biggest, biggest change in the coming year. Only other thing I'd bring up is as of a couple weeks ago, Spotify announced that they now have the ability to do reviews on their page. So now you can do reviews on Spotify as well as Apple. I will say before anybody goes, okay, I'm just going to have everybody go and review. Yes, absolutely. You should have everybody, including everyone listening to this show should give misinterpreted a five-star review on Spotify (laughs) right now, if you're not doing it and on Apple podcasts as well. But beyond that, Spotify, they don't actually count towards ranking up your podcast. What they actually do is just give listeners an insight into whether or not it's a good show or not. So You don't have to have the stars, but the stars may help someone actually click that play button, which is why you need to do it. But it has no impact on the rating. And both Apple and Spotify have stated that that is the case. So just something to keep in mind. Well, it's interesting when you're talking about YouTube. So SEO is really one of the number one reasons to have a podcast, because if you optimize the content on your website, which we haven't done a very good job with but we are going back and we are optimizing retroactively yeah and and the cobbler has no shoes category (laughs) 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 yeah we're hiring somebody else to do it because we don't have time way for our new website because we're about to launch a new website and we want to make sure that we have this amazing library of content now and so we Mm -hmm. when we get that optimized and then if we add on the youtube layer which we've been talking about doing I think it's going to do an awful lot for people just finding us organically who may need to hire a firm. So what are some of the biggest mistakes you've seen people make with their podcast, Chris, other than just throwing in the towel and saying, oh, I did this for a while and it was fun, but I'm not going to, you know, I'm done. Yeah, I think one of the things that burns people out quickly is just launching with 10 episodes, dropping stuff the way you would on Netflix does not work for podcasting. And there's multiple reasons behind this. The main one being that if you drop 10 episodes at a time, you're going to be 10 episodes in before you get feedback. And not everybody's going to listen to all 10 episodes at once. It might work with a audio drama show where people can actually really get into the content and really dig it. They might really eat through that kind of content. But for the most part, 
releasing on a weekly, bi-weekly, monthly cadence even is going to do more to draw people into your audience and draw people into the show and give you time to get feedback, refine the show and improve. There's some statistics out there that the more episodes you release at once, the less likely your podcast is to continue. You typically burn out or you don't create new episodes if you do them all up front and then go about that route. So typically when I'm consulting a client, my goal is to get them to get to launch and get to producing for shows as quickly as possible and not worry so much about building up a giant inventory of episodes. Because again, there's timing things there. Even with that, we've seen issues where because of, say, the pandemic, we had episodes that we had to drop because they felt insensitive now that we're actually in a global pandemic and things like that. So all things that have to be considered when... When you're doing that, but I'd say that's probably one of the biggest mistakes I see people make. I'd say others just not formatting their show well or thinking they can leave it really loose and have no plan going in with no plan and saying you're just going to improvise because you're really good at improvisation on every episode. It works for a small select group of people and everybody else I see do it. It just doesn't fall well. And yeah. Just not good. No, you're right. <laughs> I think sometimes when you tell people you have a podcast or they start asking you about it, they just think that you just get on there. You know, we just get on here and talk and yeah, riffing. <laughs> yeah, we're just making it up as we go. And there's a lot more strategy behind it than that. And mm-hmm. I think really probably more than half the success in podcasting occurs after the production work is done and the episode is aired. So For every one of our episodes, we have a promotional strategy. We have boxes that we have to check. Has it been posted on all of our platforms? Has it been optimized? How much budget are we putting behind it? It's like any other marketing tactic. There has to be a strategy and timelines and marks that you have to hit. And then you've got to look at the the data and the analytics to see how the show's doing, to try to find shows that have done really well and produce more content like that. So there's a lot that goes into it. And I think that that's why we've been hired for a couple of clients to actually help them manage that process and then also help them with the content strategy and the booking of guests and the writing discussion guys, because that part is time consuming. Yeah, and I will jump in there just to say that on the discussion guide part, I think that's one part that you don't want to give short shrift to, particularly in the research part. If you have a guest coming on who has a lot of subject matter expertise, well, like Chris here, I mean, you want to do enough research about the subject matter to ask really informed questions. Or we've had some guests in the past who have had just experiences in their careers that we, in fact, wanted to read up on and be much more informed about than just asking them cold about it in the interview on the podcast, as opposed to having some research and already knowing what part of their story was so that you can have a much more rich and much more engaged conversation. So, yeah, I will say that the front end work can sometimes be very time consuming, but it does add to the quality piece. Yes, absolutely. So when it comes to the promotional aspects of once the episode is done and aired, Chris, do you have any like number one tip that you say is like a must do? Yes, absolutely. And I think that really it starts with coordinating with your guests. If you're in a hosted podcast and you have guests and you're not telling your guests when their episode's coming out and they don't know ahead of time to plan to promote that, then I think you're doing yourself a disservice. A lot of times your guest is going to have as big, if not bigger of an audience than you are. 
And so bringing them on and making sure they know that promotion on their end is expected at the end of the interview, I think is very important. And I think I see that being the biggest reason why shows sometimes don't get as much traction as they should, because not only are they not mentioning their guests, but they're not also taking the time to tell their guests, hey, we need you to promote this show after the fact. So I'd say guest coordination is really important. And then also with that, the content you create, making sure that you're just consistent with promoting the content and you're putting it out in a timely manner, not just on release day, but also at least a few other times before the next episode, you're promoting that episode and you're promoting different links that direct people to different places. In general, my recommendation is to direct to a website like your landing page where you've got links to the episode, show notes, and all that information, as well as links to where you can follow the show, whether it be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, anything like that. Just creating a really good landing page is another big piece of that. But yeah, making it easy for people to find your show is probably backing away from the per episode thing is making sure that everywhere people go, they can also see your show and engage there too. Right. You know, we do engage our guests and helping us cross promote and NPR. We always talk about the power of third party credibility. So when we have a guest, all of our guests are very credible who then share, then they are giving us a vote of confidence in the space. And so we also write all of our guests. We write them a personal handwritten thank you note and we send them a parting gift. (laughs) (laughs) which is a mug and their pictures on it and they love it. And we've actually had a few that have been like, can I get a few more of those mugs? Like my mom really wants one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's funny. When I think of some of our guests with fantastic followings, I think about Jenny Dietrich. I think about Marshall Ramsey, Francis Ingham, those who have maybe tens of thousands of Twitter followers in particular, it seems like there's a lot of traction that we tend to get more so in Twitter when we're promoting it out because ours is a B2B podcast. But you make so many good points on that, Chris. And I think that selecting diverse and compelling guests can be one of the most important recipes for the podcasting success driver, because I think that listeners usually they don't want to listen only to the same one or two voices every episode for the entire broadcast. So what do you advise on helping keep guest selections fresh and timely and interesting? Do you sometimes maybe have clients that feel like they've hit a wall on guests and maybe they just come to you and say, what can I do to freshen this up a little bit? When it comes to guests, I think one of the most important things you can do is make sure that your listening audience is engaged in your show as well, because a lot of times they're going to say, hey, have you thought about talking to so-and-so or have you thought about interviewing this person on your podcast? And I think that your audience is going to be a really good indicator, especially if things feel a little stale for how to continue the show and how to engage. And there's a lot of ways you can engage your listeners that I probably don't have time to go into today. But it is something else that we talk to our audience about, and that's learning your audience at a deeper level and knowing who specifically is in your audience. So that's one key way I would do it. And then the other thing is just think about the audience you're trying to reach and go after people that are also reaching that audience. Find ways to collaborate with other shows that are in your space. Podcast is a very 
giving field. There's a lot of very open relationships between other shows and other hosts. And it's not super competitive in that. Like, I think you're trying to take all my listeners. Like if they listen to your show, they're also probably going to be listening to my show, which is a good thing. And so identifying ways that you could even guest on other shows or invite people that are in your same literally like list of the top 100, look at who's five and 10 below you or above you and see if you can't invite those people on your show and talk to them. There's a lot of ways you can go about this. Right. And I've never met anyone who doesn't really want to be on a podcast, but you're right. I think (laughs) it is a group of creators. I mean, that's really what we are. We're a group of creators. And so there is a sense of camaraderie in what we do. And I'm going to ask Chris, if you have any last words of wisdom for our listeners who they may be interested in starting a podcast or starting one for their business. Yeah, for sure. So podcasting is all about engaging your audience as well as your market. And what I mean by that is kind of going back to what I was saying previously, like understanding who your audience is, is really important. And then engaging those people within that market, within that audience, building an email list so that people can subscribe and follow updates directly to your podcast allows you so much additional information on who's really in your audience. And to get feedback from those people, to hear from those people, to see the people that are commenting and engaging, I think that's one of the key things that will help ultimately develop a strong network for growing your podcast. And so I really advise people to think more seriously about that because I see a lot of people putting time into the marketing and the advertising and paying to have their shows promoted. And then the listeners of the show, a lot of times don't really get acknowledged, but you can really grow a show quickly once you start engaging that audience and highlighting them on your show or bringing them in some way into the engagement of what you're producing. It really creates a unique environment. And it's one of the things that makes podcasting such a special medium. So definitely think about that as you're going about producing. That's great advice. So I've got a couple shameless plugs here before we end the podcast. First of all, Mary Beth, I want to congratulate you. You were mentioning some of the really influential guests that we've had on the podcast and you're right up there on the list with them because recently you were ranked one of the top 100 Twitter influencers in PR on the topic of PR measurement and that was a survey or a study by Cometric and you were 38 you were the 38th most influential Twitter er in the world <laughs> on PR measurement. So well, it, it was kind of an, yeah, I was surprised because I had not, I had not realized that they were going to be producing this list, but it was sort of a in the moment thing. And I was recognizing a lot of different people on that list. And truthfully, we had several of our own podcast guests who were also on that list. We yep. had Jenny Dietrich was number two on the list of the top 100. Francis Ingham, the director general of the PRCA, was number eight. Elementi, who had been on our misinterpreted Twitter chat a couple of years ago, was number 11. Julia Anglin-Joy was number 18. Dr. Anna Adi was number 35. Then I was number 38. Shy Lynn was number 47. And then we had David Gallagher, who also had been on our Twitter chat, was number 53. So we had kind of an illustrious list there of of folks who have been tied to our podcast. It was part of that. But yeah, I mean, we talk about 
public relations and measurement and really having substance behind what public relations accomplishes. And we talk a whole lot about that, not only on the podcast, but certainly in social media as well. So it was kind of neat to see that bubble to the surface and see a result from it. Yes, we've had A-listers on the podcast for sure. And podcasts are very measurable. There are so many points of measurement that you can look at with a podcast. And if you'd like to start one and you need help with strategy, content development, booking guests, production, then you've come to the right place. Fletcher and Humble Pod, shameless plug, we can help you. So Chris, thanks so much for everything you do for our podcast. And we just have a great relationship and a great friendship and we just appreciate you. Oh, you're so welcome. I enjoy it. We absolutely do appreciate you, Chris. And listeners, thanks so much for supporting the Misinterpreted PR podcast produced by Kelly's public relations firm, Fletcher Marketing PR. Please follow us at Twitter handle Fletcher PR. You can also follow Kelly at Twitter handle KD Fletcher and me at Mary Beth West. You can also follow the Twitter handle hashtag misinterpreted and that's capital M capital S interpreted and for visibility's sake. Don't forget to capitalize the PR. Everyone, thanks for tuning in this week. We hope you've learned something. And if you have any feedback for us, shoot me an email at kfletcher at fletchermarketingpr.com. Until next time. Thanks for joining us on Ms. Interpreted, Public Relations Demystified. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at fletchermarketingpr.com and on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll see you next time 